Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Again, good morning. I'm Martha Howard. Um, as a community voice, I thought I would talk to you a little bit. Of, I'll tell you first a little bit about the communities that um, I'm active in and involved in. Uh, my first and my spiritual community is here at CODA. Uh, Walt and I have been here for several years. We came when CODA was in the little building across from the post office in Daphne, a, a little storefront. So we've, we've been here several years, and um, we were welcomed from another Anglican tradition, and we are blessed uh, to be here at CODA. Um, Walt, Walt serves as a deacon. I serve as an eight o'clock reader, and occasionally I get to Chalice Bear. So um, blessed to be here. Thank you. A little bit about my family. Walt and I have been married for 26 years. We each brought two children um, into our marriage. The first year he adopted my girls. Um, and today, our blended family consists of Kevin, Angela, who is at rest, Donna, her husband, Matt, Danielle, and Danielle. And we have two precious grandgirls and six pretty rowdy grandboys, I tell you. I am the oldest child of Quentin and Von Seal, both now passed on, um, and I have six siblings. Father Mark and I have this in common that we are textbook examples of having that first child syndrome. You can almost tick, you can almost tick off my characteristics um, as a first child. About my work, I work for Ecumenical Ministries here in Baldwin County. Um, I am in the Fairhope office. We also have an office in Foley. I've been with um, EMI for 13 years. We are a social service agency um, born years ago, 50 plus years, from the need for assistance to the migrant families that were in our community. There was a very tragic death of a child of a migrant worker in a field, and from that, in a closet was born um, Ecumenical Ministries, and we have evolved into a full-service, pretty much social um, service agency. I have two responsibilities with um, Ecumenical Ministries. I serve as the emergency aid director for the Eastern Shore, and also um, I am co-manager for Emmy's Thrift Shop. And I hope all of you know about Emmy's. Please shop, please donate. Uh, what a fun place to be. Um, and I get to be part of that. As I mentioned, Ecumenical is a social service agency. We serve low income families. We serve the homeless and other marginalized people in our community. Um, our emergency aid offers rent, utilities, medical assistance, and food. Uh, for persons in need. We have a home repair called Repair Baldwin, which works enabling residents to stay in their homes that are in disrepair, many times at a position of almost to be condemned. So it allows people to stay because I, I know all of you know about the housing shortage. There is nowhere to send people who need to move from their homes. So a lot of times it's much more economical and feasible to just repair what they're in. So we have a wonderful department that does that. We just completed number 700 in, in putting on a roof in their 700th home. Um, so busy in there. Meals on Wheels uh, is a part of, of Ecumenical. This provides hot lunch five days a week to households 
for whatever reason, are no longer able to prepare for themselves. Um, and then Act Two is our community development program. We annually do Christmas sharing, which I'm sure most, a lot of you are familiar with. Um, this is just a community effort that reaches out with Christmas uh, for families that are finding themselves a little short. Uh, it, we also have an elderly uh, program for those that are alone. And then our thrift shop, as I mentioned, we uh, sell gently used and new items, household items, clothing, electronics, furniture, uh, things are donated to us and sold. That is a tremendous amount of revenue that goes back to fund what we are doing over next door at Ecumenical Ministries. We also will provide those items to a household that might be in need. If they come through our program or they've had a fire or sometimes people just need a change of clothes, particularly among the homeless. So that is there for them also. We're excited. God has wonderfully provided an expansion of our ministry. Um, those of you that are familiar with where we are on Fairhope Avenue, you've probably, if you've seen the new building going up, we are very close, they tell us, to being in there. That will be um, our new administrative building. I'm excited as the one that is in the office with no power. We have to run a cord, <laughs> a huge cord. Uh, we are truly nonprofit, I tell you. And I, uh, we, so we are looking forward to having new offices. This is a miracle that God provided, pay for. We are so excited. And then Emmys is going to expand. We're going to move into the old part of our um, of the office where we are now in the office, so that um, we can make more money uh, for the ministry that that we're all in. Um, I feel very privileged to work among this community. I'm very honored. I've been there 13 years. Now, CODA is a big supporter of ecumenical ministries. I, I Hopefully, most of you know that. Um, first off, we are, you know, we know that we have your prayers, your monetary, as a church, monetarily donates to us. You do food drives for us if we need. I can pretty much call the church, if I run across something that needs a little extra umph and, and Father Robert is ready and, and willing to help. Um, we have many of you volunteer with our home repair program. You've built a ramp or you've helped put on a roof or maybe given some advice. Thank you for that. Um, an easy way to be part of what we do is to donate to Emmys, those items that you are, you know, a lot of people are downsizing or just cleaning out. And if you clean out, you get to buy new stuff. So, you know, donate to Emmys. Thank you. We have volunteer Meals on Wheels drivers among you and folks that help with the actual day-to-day -day meal prep. Um, that's a very busy and active uh, ministry. And thank you if you are part of that. And then Act 2, All Churches Together, is our community development. Some of you have participated in rallies for Path to Peace and um, other, other things that go on through Act Two. So thanks again for being part of Ecumenical Ministries. I can assure you that your prayer, your time, your money is all being used to further the gospel through kindness, through giving. So today, I wanna to talk to you a minute about the age-old struggle that we all have Wanting to do good and evil is here. You know, we're in good company. Paul struggled with this. He told us about it today in, his re in the reading. Listen again to what he said in chapter 7, verse 21. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. 
I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Listen to this translation from the message. First, starting with verse 21. It happens so regularly, it's predictable. The moment I decide to do God, to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. I like that that translation. Where... When Paul wrote this, he was 20 years into his conversion. So we are not talking about a new Christian. He had traveled, he had studied, he had prayed 20 plus years. He had seen people converted to Christ. He'd seen miracles, lives changed. He'd been arrested, excuse me, for his his faith. He'd been arrested, he'd been persecuted. So by now he was well seasoned. He had kind of, you know, been around the block. He, there, he had been into all sorts of trouble. But yet, here he is telling us about this ongoing struggle, even though he's 20 years into, uh, after a miraculous conversion that, personally, I don't know anybody that's ever had such a conversion. But still, he's finding it hard to do good when he chooses to. He says he like, he delights in the law. He likes the law. He agrees with it. He understands it. And he did because as, a, as you know, a young child growing up, he was taught in the law of the land at that time. But yet he's still struggling with that same struggle that I have to do good and evil is at hand. I think of Paul like a big brother here. You know, he's writing us a letter where I don't, think he probably thought there'd be so many of us at that time because, you know, at that time, all Christians thought they were going to go to heaven pretty soon because Jesus would be back. But Paul's writing to us kind of as a big brother, and he's using his own experience to give us the heads up that we need, that we are going to struggle with this ability to see what is good and our inability to do it, as, just as he did. He's very honest. He's very transparent about this struggle that he has, as we do. I kind of feel like Paul gets me. You know, he kind of knows where I live, where I I come from, because he's got the same frustration. He's got the same struggle. He experienced that same frustration. He knew that our desire would be like his was, to do good for God, but that our sinful nature, like his, would trip us up. So what is this struggle look like in our lives? I cannot begin to unpack this age-old struggle, but I can tell you a little bit about what my struggles look like, and maybe you can identify with some of them. You know, Jesus' command to us about how to live our life is very straightforward, and we are reminded every week from the summary of law in our liturgy about how to do that. Let Let me remind us. Hear what our Lord Jesus Christ says. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the great commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. That's from Matthew 22. 
Love God, love your neighbor. Pretty straightforward. <laughs> Let me tell you how I struggle with that. Some of the things that happened to me. My intent would be to spend time alone on this day. I'm going to meditate on God. I'm going to think about his goodness, his love toward me. I can't even sit still, much less get alone. My intent is to pray for my family. I'm going to pray for you, my friends. <laughs> I'm asleep. You know, fall asleep. How, sometimes, you know, I'm going to pull up the lessons for Sunday so that I'm not in the dark when it's time to read. Pull them up on my iPad. I end up on YouTube learning how to remove wallpaper. Yeah. 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 I tune out, folks, or I change the subject when my, particularly when my loved ones really need my ear. Just change the subject. Sometimes I will talk over a client who's trying to get a point across to me or trying to make me understand their situation. I lose my patience with a cashier. I end up saying something unkind, embarrassing my granddaughter. We drive off. I've lost the opportunity to be an example. This is a big one for me. Because I'm in too much of a hurry, I'll end up jumping to any conclusion that'll save my time and my agenda. That's big for me. And then this one that I struggle with always is that refusing to pray for the grace to forgive an old deep wound. We are all broken. We all have hurt. We all are wounded. God gives us that grace to forgive. That's very hard for me. And just when I think I can do it, I'm, I'm not doing so well. And then that not giving somebody an encouraging, an encouraging word, how easy that is. And, you know, I, I find actually that being an encourager, giving somebody a kind word, even a smile, is one of the easiest ways there is to be to be encouraging, to be uplifting, to do the good. So let me tell you about an ongoing struggle that I have in this area of encouraging. I mentioned to you earlier that I co-manage um, Image Thrift Shop. Our shop depends on a couple of dozen volunteers who actually give us their time and energy every week. They come in, if you're familiar with thrift stores, whatever comes in has to be processed. The good, the bad, the ugly, the junk, all of it. Somebody has to touch it. Somebody has to go through it. That can, that can end up being a real labor of love to do that. And we are very blessed that our volunteers do that for us. Um, our day is split into a morning and an afternoon. We have a morning shift. We have an afternoon shift. And everybody works like a team. We, they work to process, price, put out, keeps our store looking really spiffy and helps generate money for the ministry, which we need. Um, it is so easy to work with these men and women because they're happy, they want to be there, they believe in our ministry, and it's easy to supervise volunteers like that. It's easy to encourage their work because it's good work, and it's easy to encourage it, and it's a joy, and I, I really do love it. But let me tell you about somebody who doesn't do so well with my encouragement. Um, been as a volunteer for a long, long time, 
comes faithfully, does good work, refuses to be a team player. It's important what we do, that everybody works together. You can't, you know, you get, particularly when you have volunteers, people have lots of opinions and nobody's paid, so they don't have to always think like you're thinking. You know, they can tell you what they think and whatever. So this does, this person doesn't respond well to encouragement. Not only that, nobody else will work with her. She ends up working her shift by herself. It's because of her very rude and unkind behavior. And when I tactfully mention this to her, or maybe not so tactfully, um, she says, I'm not a team player. I don't need a team to do my work. Well, that's true. She does good work. She doesn't always need somebody. But we know, particularly since we know we're about to expand, we need, we're going to need teams. We're going to need people to be more together. Um, she says, I don't need a team. So our director and I, we have sat with her, and we have honestly pondered with her this rudeness, all that. Her reply is always the same. I don't have to like everybody. I don't stand so, I can't stand so and so, and I don't care if she knows. So my encouragement to her to be, you know, a team player, huh, it's becoming harder and harder. Actually, it's getting a lot easier to be sarcastic and to be real flippant with her. And why is she still there, you say? Well, it's a volunteer. She does good work. There's something she's getting from it. I don't know what, but something. So am I having much success in my encouragement of her to be a team player? Some, mostly when she's not there. Yeah. Back to big brother Paul. He is kind of our big brother here, this letter that he wrote to us. So where's Paul now? in this confession that he's given to us about his ongoing struggle to do right, to do good. <laughs> he's right where I usually am after a fail. He's beating himself up. That's familiar, we get that. Listen to what he says in verse 24. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I'm not sure wretched is a word I would use to describe how I feel after a fail. So I went in search of some others that might fit. Oh, and, and there are plenty, believe me. But a few of them, see if, if this rings a bell. How about miserable? Feel miserable after this. Anguished. Distressed. You're agonized over yet not getting this right. Mostly, though, I think it leaves us feeling powerless. You know, we've... We tried, we thought we did it right, it didn't work. Mm. All these words, they just add up, you know, they just add up. So what's happened now? I find for me, my soul is so weary from this struggle. I am just, you know, because it's just ongoing. Paul feels our frustration. He tells us he does. He gets it. He gets me. He gets this feeling of this, the struggle and this feeling but he comes through for us. Paul says to us, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Here it is, verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. There's our Savior. Let me tell you that I know that the struggle that I have, that Paul has, maybe that you have, that causes this weariness in our soul is one of the burdens that Jesus is offering to take from, from us 
today in our gospel reading. Let's read this again in Matthew. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. The new international version reads like this. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. This invitation that Jesus was extending was for the folks that lived in his time and in his community, but it is still open for you and for me today. Remember, Jesus' community, they were all burdened down with hundreds of do's and don'ts from the law. They dealt with that daily. I mean, they had real hard things to live up to. Well, today, we don't have all those hundreds of do's and don'ts, but our souls get weary from the self-made struggles and all those burdens that we carry that are outside of our control. So we are so weary, and we are seeking rest. We're tired, we're, our souls are weary, and we're seeking that rest. We're looking for rest that calms, heals that emotional and spiritual fatigue that's within us. Jesus offers us that in verse 29. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I'm gentle, humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Tish Harrison Warren, an Anglican priest who many of you are probably familiar with, in her book, Prayers in the Night, made this observation about Jesus' invitation. She says, and I quote her, Oddly, when Jesus calls the weary to rest, he also calls them to a yoke, an instrument of work, not rest. It would have made more sense to me if he had said, I will give you rest, take my warm blanket, or here's my pillow, how about a bubble bath, or just take the day off. But Jesus offers the weary rest and a yoke, end of quote. Offers us a yoke. So what is, what is a yoke? I didn't know a lot about yokes. I know a lot more now. Let me tell you a minute about a yoke. It's a crossbar with two U-shaped pieces that encircle the necks of a load-pulling pair, enabling them to work together. A yoke is used to guide animals in useful work. It's, used for the, it's, it's designed for two animals whose strength together is going to pull what one cannot. One of the animals in this yoke is, is more experienced than the other one. The second animal is a trainee. The more experienced one, he knows the driver. They've been together for a while. He knows the commands, plus he knows the road, most probable. And he can help the trainee out. A yoke keeps the two going at the same pace so the load is pulled evenly. 
and a yoke keeps the two of them going in the, in the same direction. Daily, Jesus is inviting us to take his yoke upon us. So how do we do that? You just stick your head in. That's how you do it. And remember, once we're in his yoke, he knows the path. We can be sure we're going in the same direction, his way. In his yoke, we can be sure that our work is going to be positive. It's going to be productive. It's going to be fruitful. In his yoke, and I love this one, in his yoke, we'll learn from his gentle and lowly heart the lessons we need. And in his yoke, we're never alone. Jesus goes on to tell us in verse 30, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. He tells us this because he knew that because of the benefits of being yoked together, which we just, I just talked to you about, he knew his yoke was easy. And because we are yoked together, it makes his burden light. And I know this. It's this yoking that gives our souls the rest we need from that ongoing struggle of doing good and having sin there to trip up, to trip us up. It's the yoking that gives us the rest. Let's close. I'm going to close with this prayer from Angela Ashwin. This day, Lord, may we dream your dreams. This day, Lord, may we reflect your love. This day, Lord, may we do your work. This day, Lord, may we have your rest. Amen.